his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Good morning and welcome to Sunday Take. I'm Blois Olson. It is August 7th, 2022. We are two days before Minnesota's primary election day, and we have a lot to preview and talk about on this Sunday morning. It was a busy week, maybe the beginning of the general election in full swing with Governor Walls and Scott Jensen meeting for the first time. And then we also had, and will continue to have, kind of this crime issue popping up in really public places. I think it's those incidents that might drive attitudes and feelings um, as we progress through the election season. There's a lot of legislative primaries. There's some big congressional primaries. And of course, there's the Republican attorney general primary. We'll talk about those. We'll check in with Dana Ferguson from Forum Communications. And we'll talk to former DFL party chair Mike Erlinson about congressional primaries as well. Stay tuned. The rest of Sunday Take is coming up next. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... What? Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. So as we look ahead at the primary this week, 
we have to look at some of the technical pieces to watch. First and foremost is the 2020 primary was kind of an outlier. During the pandemic, voting by mail, voting early was the norm. And we are seeing in some key races, including Hennepin County and the 5th District, the turnout is down about 40%. So knowing who's going to show up, what's at stake, understanding these dynamics um, should tell us that, you know, turnout isn't going to be as high as it was in 2020. Similarly, if you look at uh, other uh, election cycles, um, you know, there's not a big statewide Democratic draw this year. There was in 2018. That, of course, was the year Ilhan Omar beat Margaret Anderson Kelleher and others in the primary. So you, so you had that dynamic. So what do you look for on Tuesday night? Are there going to be some upsets? Where do we see them happening? You know, ultimately, you have to give the endorsed candidate of both can of both parties an advantage in in whatever race it is. So let's just take the Republican primary, for instance. If you look back to the 2014 primary, Jeff Johnson won the primary with 30 percent of the vote in the 2018 primary. He beat. Tim Pawlenty, the former governor, handily in a mostly two-way race with many more votes cast. And so you can't look at the Republican primary and think that Jim Schultz isn't the favorite. That said, it's a mini look into what other states, including our neighbors to the east, are experiencing is what is the impact of Trump Republicans? Obviously, Doug Wardlow is closely aligned with Mike Lindell. They are part of the Trump wing of the party. Jim Schultz, perfectly conservative enough, newcomer to politics, but, you know, he doesn't really think that President Trump matters in an attorney general's race because it's a Minnesota issue. Which brings me to my next point, Minnesota Republicans and Trump. This week at Farm Fest, Republican nominee Scott Jensen said that this is a Minnesota race. When asked if he had sought President Trump's support, he said he's focused on Minnesota. This is a finer point that we have to watch as we progress through this election season, including for Republicans, this kind of dynamic in the first congressional district, maybe even in some of these legislative districts where Action for Liberty, a more Trump-like local organization, has put up several challengers to several incumbents. One of their big issues, voting integrity, voter integrity. But I still, at my core, believe that Minnesotans trust their election. In fact, in Scott Jensen's own poll, voting and voter integrity was not a top issue. So that's what we'll watch on the Republican side statewide. We'll also watch some of these legislative primaries from Prior Lake to Fergus Falls, And in between, there's a handful, six or seven Senate Republicans that are being challenged from the right. Now, these elections are local. But what to watch is if challengers win, the culture of the legislature and the culture of these districts will be very different than before. 
The personalities will probably be a little more flamboyant. They'll act a little more like national Republicans, like a Lauren Boebert or somebody like that. And so, you know, anticipating that, knowing where that's going to go is one thing. Now, on the Democratic primary side, you have two big Democratic congressional primaries in the 5th District with Ilan Omar and Don Samuels, her main challenger. And in the 4th District, Betty McCollum faces Amani Barrasso, a challenger. So one thing to watch here is whose margin is bigger? Is McCollum's bigger or is Omar's bigger? Both of them are heavy favorites. Both of them are DFL endorsed. But there is a bigger path, although narrow, for a Don Samuels to beat Ilhan Omar. So what to watch? Suburban vote totals. What do they look like? They weren't very high relative to urban vote totals in the 5th District in 2020. And so if urban vote totals fall off a little and suburban vote totals go up a little, you could see a path where Samuels picks up some some pace. Second, big... um, Independent expenditure campaign kind of came out on Friday, a few hundred grand before Tuesday. How do they spend that? What do they use it for? Can they drive turnout? Ultimately, the Samuels campaign has to drive some turnout in the suburbs where Omar has not performed as well in previous elections. Finally, the mayors of those suburbs endorsed Don Samuels. But Keith Ellison and the machine he built in the 5th District came out again for Ilhan Omar. Notable and something to watch. Who's sitting out? Governor Tim Walz, Senator Tina Smith, and Senator Amy Klobuchar. They haven't endorsed in this race, and it's no surprise. Now, across the river in St. Paul, the fourth congressional district race with Betty McCollum and Amani Badasso. Badasso really kind of came out of nowhere. She's an organizer and an activist, but she's been very harshly critical of Representative McCollum. And this represents one of the divides that we will talk to Mike Erlinson about next of the Republican of the Democratic Party, which is the far left, the Democratic Socialist. It's a thing versus a DFLer versus a moderate. Betty McCollum is not a moderate. She's a liberal DFLer. And so the idea that she's not liberal enough or that an upstart can challenge her, raise hundreds of thousands of dollars and criticize her shows how delicate the democracy can be and how delicate power can be. Now, the Democrats have some legislative primaries as well. In St. Paul, John Thompson faces a primary. The very uh, troubled and uh, challenged to be kind of held in high regard, John Thompson, uh, is likely to lose that primary. But you know, watch that because maybe there is an electoral base there. And then Senator Sandy Pappas has two challengers. Again, Sandy Pappas, very liberal, a challenge from the far left. It, it is uh, similar between the Republicans and their challengers from the far right and the Democrats and their challengers from the far left. That the middle keeps getting wider and wider and more and more possible. We're going to break down the Democratic dynamics with Mike Erlinson, and then we're going to talk to Dana Ferguson from Forum Communication. She was at FarmFest. She covers greater Minnesota, and she'll get a sense of it. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. How powerful is Cox Internet? 
powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. You know, our first cup of coffee this Sunday morning is with Mike Erlinson. He's a former DFL chair. He's run for Congress. And I did a little math before he joined me. We've known each other not quite 30 years. So... <laughs> Well, I'm glad that one of us is still uh, doesn't have gray hair, boy. So congratulations on that. Oh, it's there, Mike. There's been a pandemic and plenty going on. It's it's coming through fast and furious. So, uh, Mike, there's a primary on Tuesday as a former DFL party chair, as somebody who looks at it um, from all different angles. Let's start with kind of the state of democratic politics. There was an article in the New York Times over the Fourth of July weekend about kind of where Clinton Democrats have gone, where that kind of those philosophies around economics and even public safety have shifted. Do you have a, do you have a sense of how kind of Democrats have become divided or in these two camps on economics and public safety? Well, it's kind of interesting. If you look, if you remember Ronald Reagan in 1980, I think it was, said something like, we should give people a hand up, not a hand out. And that really was the backbone of what Minnesota calls the Democratic Farmer Labor Party, right? We put in place programs, um, even though I hate the word programs, uh, we provide education, we give people the tools that they need, no matter what kind of background they come from, and we support them so that they can become you know, productive members of our society. And somehow over the course of the last 15 plus years, I think the Democrats have shifted in this internal divide that you reference 
um, has got people who really still believe, um, even though Ronald Reagan was a Republican, don't know that he'd be a Republican today. That's a different conversation. But that we do give people a hand up and the tools that they need. And when they hit uh, a tough patch, we provide uh, what they need to get through that, whether that's unemployment insurance or health benefits or the kind of things that we did during the pandemic. But now we've got this sort of a divide in the Democratic Party where people want to continue to sort of just give people things, right? Forgiving student loans. On one hand, I think that's a great a great idea. On the other hand, you know, what's the dividing line between whose loans get forgiven and whose don't get forgiven, right? Um, healthcare, right? I mean, we passed a major healthcare under bill under President Obama. Um, the Republicans undid some of that, but, um, you know, Democrats failed to keep in place the pay fors, right? So there's just, there's a lot of challenges out there, but the fifth district primary is going to highlight a lot of these, right? One of them is our flashy member of the United States Congress, Ilhan Omar, uh, who um, is out there making wonderful speeches, uh, has a national following. That's been part of uh, her MO, I guess, since she got elected to Congress, uh, who is now being contrasted with um, Don Samuels, who is an immigrant from Jamaica, you know, somebody that moved into arguably the poorest part of the 5th Congressional District in North Minneapolis with his wife and has dedicated his entire time in the community to helping that community become better by giving them the tools to become productive members of society. And that's, you know, why I think we've got the, the race that we have today um, between uh, Don Samuels and Congresswoman Omar. So let's focus on that race for a minute. You live in that district. You actually ran for that seat uh, a while back uh, in a primary against Keith Ellison. One of the things that's, you know, there, there's kind of this, and I'll, I'll talk about kind of the, the Ilhan Omar wing of the DFL. Anyone who kind of disagrees with them or has a different point of view, which traditionally would still be considered a democratic idea or a liberal idea, is immediately kind of, you know, called a Republican or, you know, called. So how do you, what do you hear from people about how they distinguish between these two camps or these two candidates when nobody's going to argue whether or not Don Samuels is pro-choice or not, but yet they try to, you know, kind of cast this shadow that maybe he's not pro-choice because he has a pro-life staffer. And, you know, I come from the school that staffers are off limits, but, but they still really, they really try to um, kind of corner their opponents and paint them as something they're clearly not. Yeah, I mean, look, it, we, we became so divisive in politics, it's it's really ridiculous. I can remember my former boss, Congressman Martin Sabo, who served the district for 28 years, uh, who had as liberal a voting record as you could get in the United States Congress, and yet he was challenged virtually every year from the left, right? And, you know, would Don Samuels go to Washington, D.C. and have a significantly different voting record on the vast majority of issues than the Congresswoman Omar? I doubt it. Or Congressman Sabo or Congressman Ellison, for that matter. But 
The difference is, uh, do we want to send somebody back to Washington, D.C., who's going to spend the time and energy getting to know his colleagues so that he can roll up his sleeves and influence and pass big pieces of legislation, right? Congresswoman yeah. Omar on some of the biggest pieces of legislation in the last year has just voted no. You can always find a reason to vote guess against something. That's easy. The hard work is negotiating solutions and then ultimately agreeing to take a little bit less than whatever your full loaf might be because you believe that that package is going to make our nation stronger and better. That was true with the infrastructure bill. You know, we saw, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the more interesting votes that nobody's paid any attention to was uh, Congresswoman Omar the rest of the squad and a few others voted against uh, Betty McCollum, the fourth congressional district congresswoman who happens to lead the defense committee. They voted against the defense bill. They voted against it because they saw it as too big. Even though Congresswoman McCollum had negotiated the smallest defense package that we had seen in our nation in years in the United States House. But because of the Omar and her colleagues vote, that bill did not pass the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, did so that, uh, And then the Senate passed the largest defense bill in the history of our nation. And so when the House members with no negotiating position sat down with the senators with the biggest position that the country's ever had in defense spending, what do you think happened? We ended up with the final bill being the largest defense bill passed ever in the history of our country and ultimately signed by the president because you can't not have a defense bill pass uh, in a, on an annual year. So again, you have to think about the big picture. You have to be willing to say, you know what, I don't like this thing as much as if the defense bill might be zero as some people might like it to be. Yeah. But ultimately, um, 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 the, the, they're voting no on that defense bill gave us a bigger defense bill than we would otherwise have, have had. So uh, my guest is Mike Erlinson. He is a former DFL chair. He ran for Congress. He lives in Minneapolis and understands DFL politics and, and, and keeps his pulse on it. And as we approach Tuesday's primary, thinking about these two congressional primaries, Mike, have you, I mean, I, the, I thought about this on defense issues because you see it in the McCollum race. You see it from Ilhan Omar. And obviously, the nation's defense is one of those issues that for years, right, whether it was nuclear weapons, whether it was the, you know, wars in the Middle East, there's there's tension within the Democratic Party about military spending, military force. Um, you know, I may have once even considered myself a pretty big pacifist in my late teens, early 20s. But but there's but is there ever an idea of like, why what do you what do you think we need to do to protect our country? Or do they acknowledge that there are actual threats? Or is it just a is it just a narrative that they try to drive home without an actual alternative solution? Yeah, I mean, it's a narrative on not just defense, uh, Blois, but so many issues for I would call them the extremes of both parties, the extreme left, the extreme right. The people that do tend to vote no on everything because they're making that quote unquote point. And, you know, too many voters think, you know, making a point is a great stand. I would argue you make a point from time to time, but you make your point by influencing the legislation and making it better, right? So if you look at Congresswoman McCollum on defense, 
or even former Congressman, the late Sabo, um, you know, they agreed to serve on that committee because they understood that if they really wanted to influence defense spending in our nation so that it was a more of a peacekeeping force instead of an a massive threatening army full of nuclear weapons, you join that committee, you roll up your sleeves, you figure out what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, and you figure out how to make those bills smaller. Because ultimately, the smaller the defense bill is, the more money that can be spent on things like education or healthcare or transportation, or you pick pick the program. But you don't ultimately cut those programs or influence where the dollars are spent unless you agree to serve in a difficult spot and bring those voices uh, uh, to the table. And, you know, I, I commend uh, Congresswoman McCollum for doing that. It'd be a heck of a lot easier to take in a pass to become the chairwoman of the defense subcommittee of appropriation and stuck with the chair of interior, right? Dealing right. with parks and and clean water and the Mississippi River and all those wonderful things that we love about our state in Minnesota and the nation. No, she took the harder job because she knows that as a liberal, as, as somebody that believes that less is more when it comes to defense spending, she'd have a more powerful position that would be better for her constituents in our nations if she took that spot. And, and by doing that, you get beat up. Um, because it's never good enough for some people on some issues. So let's talk about, just as we kind of begin to wind down here, taking those harder jobs, because in McCollum's sake, and I've had this conversation with environmental groups uh, as well, um, because she's not the chair of appropriation uh, for the interior, but yet she's still able to multitask and drive those environmental issues home. And that's what you know, when I've talked to folks who are opposing McCollum this time, they, they don't have answers for that because um, it, it is really, and I think even the Star Tribune over the weekend kind of carried around, the difference between her challenger and Representative McCollum are very thin and narrow. This is not wide gaping differences, which maybe on police you could say about Samuels and Omar, but yet the personalities, as oftentimes in politics, um, you know, bring out there. Um, the environment has always been a democratic issue. Are there nuances there that you're seeing amongst um, advocates and activists? Boy, I don't know that there's any nuances that are significant in the race for Congress. I mean, okay. you know, the race for Congress in the fourth district is identity politics, plain and simple. The challenger to Betty McCollum says that she doesn't differ with her on the issues, but it's just time for somebody new. You know, the, the naivety in that is that, you know, the, there are massive differences between these two candidates. And those differences are that one is a senior leader in the United States House of Representatives with the most liberal voting record in the congressional delegation. Betty McCollum's voting record is more liberal than Ilhan Omar's. Okay, I should maybe say that again, right? She is a liberal, but she is also somebody that believes that the institution of the United States Congress is something that you roll up your sleeves, you get to work, you specialize. By spending 20 years plus there, she has gained massive influence, political yeah. capital, political power. Um, you know, you, we, you could not have a better member of the U.S. House of Representatives from Minnesota in the 4th Congressional District or, frankly, any other district 
right now than Congresswoman Betty McCollum. And, you know, to, to, to the fact that she's being challenged in the party in the primary and people are wasting money on that is sort of sort of ridiculous. And it's a huge contrast to the challenge in the fifth district. Fifth District, Don Samuels is challenging Congresswoman Omar because she hasn't rolled up her sleeves in the same way as Betty McCollum to get the job done. She hasn't figured out ways to work with her colleagues. It takes 218 friends in the House to get anything done and 60 senators, right? I heard Don Samuels say to somebody the other day, my goal, if I get elected to Congress, one of them anyway, is to sit down and have a cup of coffee with every other member of the United States Congress. You got to know people to get the job done. 20 years ago, they all knew each other. Today, it's all politics. Uh, 20 years ago, it was driven by public policy. Today, it's hard to say what really drives people. Last question as we talk to Mike Erlinson here, former DFL chair. You live in Minneapolis. Um, what do your neighbors say about crime and policing and what's the mood of the folks you talk to in Minneapolis about what needs to be done? Yeah, I mean, you know, frankly, the hard part is that people are actually scared in many, afraid in many of the neighborhoods today. We cannot have that, right? You can't really blame the mayor, for example. The law, the the police department in Minneapolis, as most people know, is down almost 50% of officers. Uh, people fear that, you know, if you talk to police officers, that the, the same individuals commit crime over and over and over and over again because they they get released from jail or they get bailed out by a group that just bails everybody out because we can't have people in jail and then they reoffend. And so people are uh, uh, said, sent a big message in November of 21 when they voted not to defund the police department. Um, I think the city council and the mayor, people don't realize they did increase police uh, money for police and public safety. The problem is there isn't enough police officers to hire, not just in Minneapolis, but that's true in the surrounding communities. That's true all across the country in major metropolitan areas. And so um, there isn't a day that goes by that there isn't a carjacking or yesterday was a holdup at gunpoint by a bunch of 15-year-olds of a, of a woman and her daughter for their cell phones. Ironically, that group of kids was caught. Um, whether they've been released already this morning, um, uh, who knows? Um, but something more has to be done. I think a lot of people wish our governor would do a little bit more. I think uh, him putting the state police on the streets the last couple of weekends has made a difference. Um, And that just goes to show when you have proper policing, you can stop these activities. Um, I think Don Samuels is somebody who wants to make this a priority in the United States Congress. There he differs from Ilhan Omar, who helped run the campaign to defund the police. If the people that did the ballot initiative supporting um, uh, public safety show up in the primary. We'll have a new member of Congress. If they don't, uh, Congresswoman Ilhan will be back to Washington in January. Mike Garlinson, always a pleasure to chat and catch up. Thanks for joining me on Sunday Tech. Lois, thank you. And thank you for all you do to educate people um, in our community. It makes a difference. Thank you, sir. When we come back, Dana Ferguson, what's the mood of greater Minnesota and what did she sense at FarmFest? I'm Blois Olson, you're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830-WCCO. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. 
Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. The last cup of coffee this Sunday morning is with Dana Ferguson. She's a capital reporter for the Forum Communications Group. She writes for papers across Minnesota. And so she gives a good flavor of what people in greater Minnesota are thinking about, talking about. And uh, she was at Farm Fest this week. Dana, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. So you were at Farm Fest. I I was there too, but um, during the governor's forum, I was obviously moderating. So reading the crowd, talking to people was uh, not possible for me. What was your sense kind of in the barn that day and first impressions of the first time uh, Governor Walls and Scott Jensen meet? Yeah, um, I think one thing that really stood out to me was just how packed uh, the barn really was for the debate. Uh, Certainly, these political conversations draw a lot of farmers and other attendees, but it was standing room only. There were people standing outside watching this conversation And it seemed like people really hung on through the whole conversation and were really engaged, really loud at different points, cheering or booing candidates. So people seemed to be really connected and following up with people afterward. They had pretty strong opinions about the candidates that they were supporting and opposing. Yeah, I think that is one of the things that I had heard in anticipation that that it was going to be a packed house. And um, you know, I did a forum four years ago there with all the Democrat and Republican candidates. I think we had seven or eight on the stage and it was, it was packed, but when you had both parties and, and kind of less of the head to head, there was, it was tougher to kind of feel the mood of the crowd. Um, I have just started a sense that, you know, people are just starting to tune in and, and, and I think maybe greater Minnesota might be a little more tuned in. When you write for the papers uh, of Forum, you know, what issues are kind of top priority in greater Minnesota or in these regional centers that that the papers you write for uh, are buzzing about or talking about? I think some of the biggest ones that we hear about or sense are important for our readers are the state's economy, um, conversations about jobs and not being able to fill positions. Um We hear a lot still about COVID and about the state's efforts to respond to that, either supportive people or people who would like to see more done or less done uh, to curtail some of the sickness. Um, In addition to that, just a smattering of other issues out at Farm Fest and in southern Minnesota, we hear a lot about ag issues. So some of the questions that you posed to the candidates were pretty on the nose, just wanting to hear more about regulations, about what the state was doing to boost exports, 
and that kind of thing. So it really varies, but I'd say we heard a lot of those issues come up on Wednesday, um, especially surrounding the economy. Dana Ferguson's my guest. She writes for Forum Newspapers uh, and Forum Communications. Dana, you bring up workforce. One of the kind of trends here is, you know, finding workers in greater Minnesota. It's a problem, obviously, in the metro area. It's a problem we hear about in greater Minnesota. But there's this other dynamic in greater Minnesota, which is population decline and things like that. Um, you know, is there a sense or any insight into um, how people are looking at that, how it's impacting them? I will say this, when I stop at a C-store or somewhere when I'm driving to greater Minnesota, you know, I'm looking at and kind of observing the people who are working there, what the now hiring signs say. And, you know, we talk about, quote, minimum wage or wages in the metro, but wages in greater Minnesota, you know, I saw a C-store that said $18 an hour starting wage, you know, in, um, in a small town. And I think that puts even, when you talk about the economy, that probably puts some more pressure on greater Minnesota that maybe they were, they didn't have those wage pressures before. Yeah. Um, when you have a smaller pool of potential applicants, you have to work harder to find people and put put up some of those incentives to get people through the door and into those jobs. Um, we hear from employers, not just in greater Minnesota, but everywhere too, that they're having to look to different applicant pools than they've worked with before, um, working with younger people, people who might have uh, a background, have gone to jail or something before and now are out and willing and ready to work, uh, immigrant communities, folks with disabilities. So they're trying to grow the pool, but it's tricky to do that when your pool is just not that big to begin with. So um, it's a big struggle. A lot of communities are dealing with it and trying to find a way through it. We heard quite a bit at FarmFest about um, candidates and others really wanting to revive the conversation around immigration reform um, and wanting to find a way to make sure that there is a safe way to do that, but one that allows for more workers to come in and to help fill some of those gaps, especially in agriculture jobs where there are a lot of folks who are needed. You know, I think that's key. And, and sometimes the narrative, I think, is, you know, kind of a divided one about immigration. But it's very clear that immigration has been key to agriculture for some time. And then I would also say that migration from immigrants from, you know, the metro area out to greater Minnesota to raise a family or to have that better job or different job is evident wherever you go in Minnesota. And so it's not a surprise that that's one of the solutions they recognize that they need. And it, frankly, it's kind of counterintuitive to sometimes the way the narrative is driven. One other, you know, topic as we get ready for this primary election on Tuesday is uh, obviously we have a statewide Republican primary that people have their eyes on for the attorney general's race, but we also have several legislative primaries across the state. Um, you know, some of them are in some markets that you cover. Uh, any sense of the mood of the electorate? Do they even know there's a primary on Tuesday? How how are candidates campaigning or contrasting? Because, of course, two years ago, campaigning looked a lot different, as did voting. Right. 
I think it varies quite a bit depending on where people live. Um, Southern Minnesota, I've seen a lot of uh, folks fired up down there, obviously, because of the first congressional district special election and the primary that's going to be going on down there. Um, Some of the statewide races just don't seem to be all that competitive. So there's not that same statewide uh, push to get people out to the polls quite as much. So that could be challenging for the legislative races that we're watching. Um, It's a little bit tougher to win over folks if they're just not that interested in going to the ballot or don't really know that they should be going to cast their votes. Um, But there are a few areas that I'll be watching, especially in Republican state legislative races, as we see quite a few incumbents who have not received the Republican Party endorsement. Um, And they'll be facing challengers who tend to be farther to the right than they are. And that could really change the tone and the complexion of the legislature moving forward if some of those folks uh, win next week over the incumbents. Yes, I think that is one of the things I talked to former Senate Majority Leader Amy Koch about a couple of weeks ago is that there's going to be a lot of turnover in the legislature anyways. But you, you look at the culture of the legislature um, is based on the personalities, obviously, in their priorities. And we've seen in some of these races, especially or these candidates, uh, especially in the House, where, you know, they had this kind of splinter caucus of rabble rousers on the Republican side. And some of those members going to the Senate means that the Senate, which is usually not full of rabble rousers, could have some rabble rousers this time. Um, and the you know, the thing that is really tough to tell is turnout, right? Like, you know, you talk about the first district primary, maybe a statewide primary, but these legislative districts, we have good general election turnout, but you could have just only a few hundred people vote in these legislative districts. Um, and then, you know, that the winner of the primary is going to be heavily favored for the general. As you keep your eyes on those, are there any like distinctive issues that you've seen emerge in any of those legislative primaries that really differentiate candidates? We've heard quite a bit about election integrity. I think just across Republican races, that's an issue that folks are really concerned about. Um, So some of the newer candidates are really pushing and wanting to pass additional legislation around uh, voter identification requirements, wanting to make changes to the Secretary of State's office. In addition to that, I would say they're pushing back quite a bit on some of the notions of the governor's um, ability to issue emergency orders following the pandemic. That was a big issue and something that uh, candidates are still very angry and fired up about. So those are two areas in particular where incumbents feel passionately about those two, but maybe aren't quite as fired up in that way. Um, so it could create a different conversation at the Capitol if the newer folks move on, or it could be pretty similar if the incumbents are elected and come back. I know Brainerd and Crow Wing County is one of the places where that election integrity discussion continues to happen despite an audit or two. Is it being driven by activists? I mean, we hear about it on a national level of, you know, intentional misinformation campaigns, but have you guys done any reporting on where it's coming from? 
I think quite a bit of it is stemming from former President Trump. He's still um, continuing to share some information about that or misinformation, sort of continuing to allege that the 2020 election was not legitimate and that his loss was not legitimate. So uh, some of the candidates see that coming down and uh, remain convinced that that is the case and they want to ensure that that election and others are properly uh, vetted and properly conducted. So I think that's the biggest source, um, certainly as they continue to share that with uh, Minnesotans and with others, it continues to spread that. But I'd say the former president's maybe the biggest font of information there. <laughs> well, that's it. And, and it's interesting because he's not as visible on social media now. So you don't, I, I always say, I don't feel like I see it on a daily basis, but then it'll pop up in a news story or something like that. So, well, Dana, I know we'll check in before the general election. Thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.